I still remember, after all these years, the day my brother came to me and said, you'll never guess what I saw in church today. I said, no, do tell. What? He said, I saw a bearded woman. A bearded woman? All I could think of was the circus. You know where they have a beard like this? So I had to go to see for myself. So next Sunday, there we go. We're looking for this bearded woman. Well, it wasn't like the circus, but she had obvious facial hair. And even though I saw it, I couldn't believe it. Those were the days before being politically correct and all of that. You're not supposed to stare. You're not supposed to notice things like that. In my ignorance as a 12-year-old, you'll have to excuse me. But have you ever seen something you just couldn't believe? Have you ever had a friend say, come, it's true. It's true. And if you don't believe me, come and see for yourself. Has it ever happened to you? I bet it has or something like it. And then when you see it for yourself, sometimes you still have a trouble believing it. Seeing isn't always believing, is it? Sometimes it's easy to be confronted by something we aren't expecting and we don't believe it. Sometimes some fact we've already decided isn't true. We're like the, the, the man or the woman that said, um, my mind is already uh, made up. Please don't confuse me with the facts. And you know people like that? Of course they don't say that, but they might as well. My mind is already made up. Don't confuse me with the facts. Or sometimes we want something to be, so badly we want it to be true that it seems like a taunt or a tease when somebody says something. Well, today we're going to talk about a time just after Christ was crucified on the cross. And the four ladies have come, uh, the Marys and Joanna and, and uh, the, mother, uh, the mother of Jesus as well, and another woman who's not named. They went to the tomb early in the morning. And when they arrived, they discovered that the tomb was empty. And some angels were there saying something like, it didn't make sense to them, but something like Jesus is alive. Oh, oh, Really? And then there, were, there, they were, then there was this commission. The angel said, well, now that you've seen, go and tell the disciples. So they go right back to the disciples, and they, and they share what they, what they know, what they've seen. And uh, the disciples, of course, said, oh, thank you so much for telling us that. We were hoping for good news. Of course not. They did not believe the woman, the women. <laughs> the woman, my goodness, that's not a statement. They did not believe the women. They just couldn't believe it. They said, well, if you don't believe it, go and see for yourself. And so two of the disciples ran and to see for themselves. And sure enough, the tomb was empty. Later that same day, two of this wider group of disciples were on their way home. One was named Cleopas. And the other was named, did you catch it from our reading? No. It's not, that person is not named. Now, I always thought it was a man. I mean, I, I have this, these pictures of Jesus on the road to Emmaus with, with two men. But then I got to thinking, why does it have to be a man? Maybe that's because I live in the 21st century. But anyway, why does it have to be indeed? Wouldn't it be just as easy to believe that it was a woman? And not only a woman, but his wife. 
So this man, Cleopas, and Mrs. Cleopas, if you will, were walking down the road. And it makes sense to me because later on they're going to invite him into their home. And I don't think two guys living together maybe would be quite so quick. But they might have. But it's just something for you to think about and there's no extra charge for that. (laughs) Anyway, these two disciples, whomever they are, were, were walking down the road about seven miles and Jesus appears to them and teaches them some valuable lessons. So on this Sunday after Easter, what could be more appropriate than to talk about the road to Emmaus? A walk to Emmaus, I've called today's, today's message. So we're going to start with conversation. Conversation. Oh, before we start, let, let's pray. So Lord, we just commit this time to you, these next little bit of time that we have. Pray that you will open our eyes and open our ears, that we might learn, that we might see, that we might trust, and that we might obey. So give us whatever we need today. Thank you for bringing us here from wherever we came from, and we know that you make no mistakes at all. And so we pray for those that are are listening online and watching and joining, and pray for them as well. If they're sick, may they feel better. And if they're just being cautious, just reward their efforts, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the two disciples are going down the road, the Bible tells us, talking with each other. Well, what could be more natural? But they seem to be sad, really sad, because their Messiah has been killed. Now, they have heard the report about the empty tomb, but they still haven't seen Jesus, not even a trace of Jesus. So they're separated from the other disciples, and they're discouraged, and they're distressed and depressed. It would be like going to a concert you paid big bucks for, and sitting down, and at the last minute, when 8 o'clock or 7.30 comes, out comes this guy who says, I'm sorry to announce today that our performers are unable to appear um, for whatever reason. Maybe they got sick, maybe they got caught in the snow, uh, but whatever reason, that, this actually happened in Norman and me when we still lived in New Jersey, and uh, that was early in our ministry. And we, you know, we were at this concert and really hopeful. And what, what can you do? You can moan and groan and demand your money back. Or you can just go home. There'll be no show or the show is like over. Well, these two disciples, Jesus was dead. Now the tomb is empty, but what should we do? Well, just go home. So they were on their way home. Talking about... What had happened? Then Jesus comes and appears. The Bible says just kind of came up, maybe supernaturally or maybe caught up or something. We're not sure. But then the next thing you know, instead of two, there are three walking down the road. And yet they don't seem to recognize him. I mean, they're looking for him, but... You know, I guess I have to be honest, if I had been one of those two, I might not have recognized him either. I mean, after all, the guy just died. You don't expect to see Uncle Bob on the street the following day after the burial, after the service, right? You wouldn't even, even if you saw him, you would think, well, that can't be Uncle Bob. He's six feet under, right? Yeah. So they're not expecting to ever see him again. And maybe they don't even believe that they would ever see him again. And then it's the, his body has changed. Now, why would I say that? Well, we know from other appearances that he's not bound by time or space. He can walk through walls, 
when he visits the disciples, and, and, and time, he can be here one minute and someplace else the next second. So he's living in more dimensions than you and I are used to, and uh, at least five, and there's probably more than that. We live in a three-dimensional world, as you well know, but I, I'm thinking Jesus, at the very least, was living in a five-dimensional world once he was raised from the dead because he was not bound by time or space either. Well, anyway, Mark, 12, Mark 16, rather, verse 12, it says, Jesus appeared, and I quote, in a different form to two of his followers who were walking from Jerusalem into the country. And remember, Mary of Magdala did not recognize him either. When she encountered him, she thought he was the gardener after the resurrection, remember? So there's some pattern going on here. I'm not sure exactly what it is. Now, some of you that maybe have a Bible open or maybe you're thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're missing the most obvious reason why they didn't recognize him. And if you would say that, you would be right. You would be absolutely right because God has blinded their eyes. That's why they don't see, divinely speaking, but humanly speaking, and I could see why they wouldn't see as well. There's... Um, for those of you that like these things, the divine pass, passive construction in Greek, which makes sure that we know that it, God intentionally blinds their eyes until the moment of revelation as he breaks the bread with them. Then he intentionally opens their eyes. Why does God do this? I ask myself that question. Now, mind you, I only had a couple days to get ready because these people don't get sick on, in, in advance. So, I mean, I, you know, it was just Wednesday night or Thursday morning that I found out that I would have the privilege of, of serving. So I, I did some research and I did some thinking, but I need your help. I need your help. Why do you think God intentionally blinded their eyes and then intentionally opens their eyes at the end of the story? I'm open for suggestions. I got one or two after the first service, and you can email me. I'll, I'll just check my email every day, hoping to hear from somebody. If you think about it, you know, if you, if you want to think about it, most people don't, don't want to think or they really don't care, and I understand that. But if there are other examples in the Bible you can think of where God intentionally does something like this to blind their eyes, I know there's at least one. So maybe you could find it too and let me know. I would like to suggest that whatever the reason or combination of reasons, they are focused on their problems. They are focused on their problems. They are in despair, don't forget. Sadness was written across their face, it says in verse 17. They're, they're so concerned about how they're feeling and what they're going through, the problem that they can't see a solution. They can't even, can, can't even look for a solution. Has that ever happened to you? Your problems just are so big, you can't even imagine that it would be resolved in a good way. I bet, I bet you can identify to some degree. I certainly can. They can't believe that the man to whom they are speaking has no knowledge, seemingly, no knowledge of what happened in Jerusalem in the preceding days. It would be like, some of us have lived through this, I, oh, I guess most everybody has. It would be like uh, living through 9-11, through and then meeting somebody on September 12th. And they would come up and say, why are you so depressed? 
Why are you so upset? You're going, duh, don't you know? Don't you get out in the world? Don't you crawl out from under your rock once in a while? They can't believe that this man has no idea what's been happening in Jerusalem. So Jesus says, well, what are you concerned about? Does he know the answer? Of course he does. He was involved. He's the one that was crucified, right? And dead and buried and raised. But he wants to draw them out in conversation. Sometimes we ask our children questions we know the answer to. But we want to hear them say it. We're trying to teach them something or show them something or draw them out in conversation. And I believe that's what was happening here. I'm sure Jesus is interested to know what they're going to say. Like, well, what are they going to say about me? Uh, They don't know it's me. But you know what I'm saying there? And so I I wrote down some things that they they say. Well, they they say uh, he was a man from Nazareth. Good, good. He was a prophet who did wonderful miracles. Okay, He was a mighty teacher. Oh, good. Highly regarded by God and the people. Recently crucified. Reported alive by some women. And presumably the Messiah who would rescue Israel. Now this last point is a sensitive one. They were really genuinely disappointed. They had really put all of their hopes in this man, this Messiah. And... What a disappointment he turned out to be in their minds. We had hoped that he would be the Messiah who would come to deliver us. But now their hopes are burning low. In fact, their hopes are nearly gone. They're nearly extinguished. There's that flicker of hope, though, in the midst of it all, that the women say the tomb was empty. Yeah. But they're violently struggling between hope and fear, between belief and unbelief. Has, has that ever happened to you? Struggling between hope and fear? We hope something happens, but we're afraid it's not going to happen, something that we want to happen. Or we hope that something is not going to happen, and lo and behold, it does. My dad once said, cheer up. Things could be worse. So I cheered up. And sure enough, things got worse. (laughs) That's off the record. Again, no extra charge, but I just thought it fit in here. We can walk and talk with Jesus, is my premise today, as we go down the road of life. Hebrews 13, 6 declares that he is always with us. And the Bible is full of promises that we can always walk and talk with him in thought and prayer. So Jesus walks with us if we'll let him. And he might ask us things like that will get us questions that will get us to be honest with him and unburden ourselves. He might ask something like, what's bothering you? You know, fill me in. Does he know already? Sure he does. But he's asking to draw you out. He wants you to to let him know what you're going through, what you're thinking. Or he might say, what's on your mind? And as the counselors would say, would you like to talk about it? Have you heard people say that? That's kind of a nice thing to do. Would you like to talk about it? And he would be ready to listen. He wants us to pour out our hearts to him. But this takes time. And this takes listening. 
You would think that after, well, 70 years in the kingdom of God, I would have a handle on this. I still don't. I know it in my head, and I'm sharing it with all of us as a challenge to all of us, including myself, to take the time to be quiet and listen to God. Now, I, my mentor says, I need to press deeper into that. Make more of an effort to walk and talk with the Lord. Make more of an effort, and he's absolutely right. And so I would challenge you the same way. Do you realize that Jesus is with you always, whether you know it or not, whether you perceive it or not, whether you want him to or not? But he wants to talk to us, but he can't with the radio on so loud. He can't, he can't when we're so busy doing things, we're late for this appointment and we rush to that one and we forget this and then we do that. I mean, I've been there too. I'm trying to learn to settle down just a little bit. Oh, but I'm so busy. Yes, you are. We're all busy. I'm busy too, even in retirement. Can you believe it? People, I can't tell you how many times people say, well, you're retired. You have all the time in the world. No, we all have the same amount of time. It's just how we use it. So it's a struggle for me, but I'm encouraging us all to listen. Prayer is a two-way street, not just a one-way street. And so many times I've come to God with my list, my big list of all the things I want him to do for me. That's why this morning we took a little time to say, well, let's tell God how great he is, you know, and let's, let's adore him, let's, let's thank him. And that's a good pattern for all of us. Well, we go on to uh, exposition in verses 15 through 27. I, I respect the fact that Jesus is willing to give them a reprimand. He loves them so much, he's willing to reprimand them. But it seems a little harsh to me, doesn't it to you? You foolish people. Whoa, that, that's kind of not, you know, holding back any punches, I guess. You find it hard to believe what the prophet said. You're out of touch with, with God's purposes. You're, you're not reading the scriptures. You're not interpreting them correctly. You have misguided, misguided ideas and false hopes. You think God would ever say that to us? You're out of touch with my purposes? You are foolish because you don't believe what the Bible says. Misguided ideas and false hopes? Oh, I hope not. But all too often, that becomes the fact. There's part of me that wants to say to the two disciples, come on, you guys. You've got the Son of God walking with you, and you've been with him in, in a personal way or at least in a, in a semi-personal way. For three years, he's been teaching and preaching, and you still don't believe you still don't want to commit your life to him? What's wrong with you? Then I think to myself, well, am I ever slow to believe? Are you? Do you read it once and get it? You know, don't do this. Okay, never again. No, it doesn't. It, it's, you had to, it's, a, it's, a, it's a process, isn't it? We have to say no a number of times before that becomes our automatic response. Or yes. Some of us need to learn to say yes when God says something to us. Hmm, just something to think about again. Well, Jesus, after the reprimand, he uh, then goes on to explain some things. Now, I had to imagine 
what it would be like to be at that very special personal Bible study with Jesus. You know, we have our own small groups and our own Bible studies, and we come on Sunday and, you know, listen, and, and we have Sunday school classes, and we've got this group and that group, and we have a pastor that teaches us. Um, but what about Jesus? You know, if Jesus were here, you know what? I would say, Jesus, please, please, come up, come up. I'll sit down and, and I'll, I'll listen and I'll learn. I'm just trying to, to do that because he's not here physically today. But, but yet they, they don't seem to get it. And so we need to invite Jesus purposefully into our lives. We need to say, okay, Lord, speak to me. Do you believe God can speak today? I wish it were an audible voice. And occasionally I've heard people that say they have heard a voice. Or people that are in, in the Muslim lands, they have a dream where Jesus actually appears and speaks to them in the dream. But normally, he doesn't operate that way. But he still speaks in a way that we can't mistake. But we have to listen. I know I said that before. I need to hear it again, and so do you. We need to listen. We need to be quiet. Sometimes it's the middle of the night when you wake up and can't go back to sleep. Say to the Lord, talk to me, talk to me. He might bring to your mind somebody that needs prayer. Great, pray for them. Or he might give you an insight. So we need to listen to Jesus as he gently chides us for not reading and understanding and believing his word. He will enlighten our minds as we ask him to. Hmm, that puts some of the responsibility on me. I can't expect it to all come one way. We cooperate with the Holy Spirit in our spiritual growth. I have to be looking. I have to be willing to spend the time to actually say, Lord, show me your way. And then I need to listen carefully. And I need to do what he says. Well, Recognition is our next focus here, and that's uh, some more verses 28 through 31. Jesus plans to go on as they approach the village, and the disciples have an important decision to make. Shall we just say, you know, it's been really great. We've never met a guy like you with such wonderful, imaginative, original ideas. I mean, this has been fascinating. We've learned so much how all the prophecies fit together, and the newer, and the, and the newer Testament isn't there yet, but how it all points to the Messiah. Wow, this has been great. See you later. Be, be fed and blessed and on your way. Or they could invite him in. It was dangerous and it was dark. And it was good they invited him in. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree? Just think, if they hadn't invited him in, they would have missed the very Son of God himself. No wonder the Bible tells us that we ought to entertain strangers. But so, because by doing that, we sometimes have entertained angels. And in this case, the Lord himself. So then Jesus sits down, acts as the host. We're not sure exactly what that means, but he, was, he kind of took charge there. And in a, in a, a, a process a reminiscent of the crowds when he fed the 5,000 and the 4,000, he breaks the bread, he gives thanks, and then he distributes it. He asks God's blessing on it as well. And then something miraculous happens. They recognize him as he breaks the bread and gives it to them. They recognize him. Perhaps it's through characteristic mannerisms. 
Perhaps it's the way he speaks to the Father in prayer. Perhaps they can actually see the nail scars in his hand. Because they have all these robes on, you know, and think you wouldn't see that. But maybe as he reached out to, to say something or to give them the bread uh, or pass the cup, maybe they saw the nail scars. We don't know. But again, it's the divine passive tense that says, God opened their eyes so that they could see. That's why we need to ask God. Like he opened the eyes of Elisha's servant in, in, uh, in the Older Testament, the city of Dothan. There were angels all around, but the servant didn't see them. But God opened his eyes, and they, they were able to see. So whatever the explanation is, they, oh, they, they, they recognize him. And then what happens? Do you remember? He disappears. He disappears, like, poof. Wow, another miracle, I would say, wouldn't you? Now, sometimes we say to people, disappear, make yourself scarce. Uh, and then some, some of the commentators have said, that just means that he got up and left. Oh, I don't think so. Now, I don't know for sure. I wasn't there. But I can imagine that as he appeared to the disciples without warning, he can disappear and without warning as well. The point is this. Today, we can't see Jesus with our physical eyes. Oh, I wish we could. Wouldn't it be so great as to say, well, ladies and gentlemen, he's right over here in the second to the last row. And we'd all turn around and we'd applaud, Right? Or as I said before, we would invite him up. Why not? But he is here, we believe. How can that be? We have spiritual eyes. Oh, that's a little, hmm. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, it's just that you know that you know. The Holy Spirit speaks to our spirit. And so we invite him here. He is here. So we need to say, okay, Lord, talk to us. Talk to us. And as pastors, we or preachers, we, we pray that. Lord, speak through me so that something I say is from you. And it's different for each person. But, but, but the point is this. I have to invite him. I have to beg him. Not just to say, you wouldn't be interested in staying with us, would you? But I have to say, they urged him. They compelled him. They wouldn't take no for an answer. And I believe that's what I need to learn to do more. And I'm challenging you with the same thing. It's getting late, folks. Not just the clock, and it's almost time for the service to be over, which is also true. But it's getting late in our lives. Our lives will soon be over. Christ may return soon. We don't know. We're to be ready at any time. The time is short, so don't let him go on. Beg him to stay. Invite him into your heart and life while there is still time. Maybe you've never done that. Today would be a good day to say, Christ, come into my heart. Come into my life. Show me, illuminate me, forgive my sins. That would be a good time. But also those of us that are believers can invite him in as well. Hey, there's a wild idea. Did I make that up? Or is that somewhere in the Bible? Well, you better believe it's somewhere in the Bible or I wouldn't have asked the question. What do I have in mind? Revelation 3, verse 20 says, Look, here I stand at the door and knock. If you hear me calling and open the door, I will come in, and we will share a meal as friends. Now, I've heard this verse used at a lot of evangelistic meetings, and that's one use for this. But do you realize he's writing to believers? 
He's writing to people that are already Christians, the Christians, the believers, the family of God at Laodicea. So the invitation to all of us today is to open the door. Jesus is knocking. Some of you say, oh no, he's not knocking. Oh, I don't believe that's the question. The question is, the question that's asked is, will you open the door? It's not, is he knocking? He's knocking. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. So metaphorically speaking, he's knocking at the door of your life. So can you invite him in? Will you invite him in? Well, that's up to you. You could just let him go on or let him keep knocking. Some say the Lord isn't speaking. Well, that's not the question either. The Lord does speak. It's are we listening? That is the question. So if you're a believer today, I ask, will you answer the knock of Jesus? Will you open your life to him a little bit wider? Maybe you've opened your life to him quite a bit, but there's still that closet that you keep under lock and key that you don't want him to be in there. Oh God, no, don't come here. Don't come there. Don't go down the basement. Don't go up in the attic. Well, there might be. I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. I'm just here to ask the questions. So can you say, yes, Jesus is in my heart. I'm going to heaven. I know that. But what about everyday living? Is Jesus in your whole heart? Your whole life? Hmm, I have some work to do. How about you? It's something you can do right now, too. Don't wait for a good time. Now's a good time. It's relatively quiet here, and it's relatively a friendly crowd. And we're not going to know what you're thinking anyway. Some of you have already dozed off, and some of you have planned the meal for this afternoon and what you're going to do the rest of the day, and that's fine. I'm glad you're here. But you can do it right now where you're sitting. In, the, in, the, in your heart of hearts, in your mind of minds, you can say, Lord, come into my heart. Come into this room and this room and this room. We can do that. Yes, we can. Well, that's something I would challenge us all to do. Well, let's finish up with the action. And that's verses 32 through 35. And that goes pretty quickly. And that's the way it should. So the disciples return immediately to Jerusalem. It's 9 o'clock at night, folks. The road was dark. It's dangerous. No streetlights. No sheriff's patrols. Stuff like that, you know. But they're not afraid anymore because they have good news to share. And so they go back as fast as they can. And they find the 11 just where they knew they'd be. They arrive breathless and excited. But before they can tell their good news, the other disciples blurt out, The Lord is risen. Yes, he is risen indeed. And he's appeared to Peter. At that moment, the, the disciples, rather than being crestfallen, like you took my, the wind out of my sails, they say, yes, we know. He has appeared to us too. And as we share good news with other believers, we are all encouraged. All encouraged. Now see, they've finally gotten convinced. The empty tomb was only half the story. We don't even know where the empty tomb is today. So that, that can't be the whole story. But seeing the resurrected Christ was the, was the deal maker for them. Christ has been risen. Are you so convinced? Don't, don't, don't just answer too quickly. We talked about that last week, but maybe you've had a chance to think about it. This is a very important question, and it's not easily answered. Do you really believe that Christ was raised from the dead?
Do you really believe that he's alive and living, sitting in a position of authority in heaven? Do you really believe that? We haven't seen him with our physical eyes. We haven't seen the empty tomb, but we're more fortunate, Jesus says to Thomas, as we talked about last week, you believe because you've seen me, but blessed are those who haven't seen me and they believe anyway. So they want to share their faith immediately as they have this good news. Now, of course, I realize this is old news to many of us. It's not new and fresh like it was for them. But don't you think it's still good news? I think it is. But it's so hard to share because people don't want to hear it. They don't want to believe. They don't, and I know that too. It's hard for me too. But my, my challenge is to, to share this with others. Also, I'd like to share when the Lord speaks to me with other believers. Sometimes we do that in our staff meetings, and that's a very precious time. Sometimes that happens in small groups or in what we call Sunday school groups or affinity groups, small groups, and that's a really, really precious time. I was waiting on the Lord this week, and this is what he showed me. Or I've, I've read this again, and, and, and I've never seen that before. Well, let me show you. Just like when you see a sale, ladies, and you want to tell other, other people, right? And I'm just guessing, but I'm guessing that often is the way. So once we have seen Christ and he's shown us something, we want to share it with others, share it with a mom or a dad, share it with a son or a daughter or a grandma or a grandpa or, or a neighbor if they're open to that. Share what Jesus has done for you. Encourage brothers and sisters in the faith. Praise God for all he has done. Praise God that he is still speaking today. The resurrection is still important today. Yes, one week after Easter, the resurrection is still important, isn't it? We only talk about it and sing about it, mostly just like the birth, you know, but it's still important. As we walk down the road of life, I submit to you, we are promised the continuing presence and power and provision of our Lord, risen Christ. Our Lord goes before us to lead the way, if we will allow him. He walks beside us to give us encouragement. He follows behind us to be our protection. And he lives within us to save us, to change us, and to give us peace and joy in our hearts. Let's walk in the light of this understanding this week. That's my challenge. Let's walk in the light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and look to him, the author, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith. Let's practice the presence of God as we deliberately sit or stand, or go for a walk, or whatever works for you, and say, Lord, speak to me. I'm, I'm turning off. I'm taking out the ear pods. I just want to be with you, Lord. As we walk the road of life with Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. Amen.